During the world's biggest lockdown, it's quite ironic, everything's shut, everyone's supposed to be staying indoors. But I think that we are seeing one of the biggest events in India in its history, I would say, in independent India's history. Elizabeth Puranam is Al Jazeera's India correspondent. And she's one of 1.3 billion people in the middle of a lockdown that's transformed the country. To contain the coronavirus pandemic, cities like New Delhi and Mumbai, which are normally chaotically busy, are now silent. No cabs, no trains, no food vendors. Prime Minister Narendra Modi announced the lockdown on March 24th with a clear sense of urgency. To save India, to save every Indian, to save you and your family, there will be a total ban on leaving your homes starting at midnight tonight. Despite the three-week lockdown, India's COVID-19 cases are on the rise. Some people have already died of the disease in Mumbai's dense slums where clean water is hard to find and social distancing is near impossible. And then there's the lockdown itself, which has left millions of people homeless and hungry. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Today we're in New Delhi, where Liz lives, along with nearly 22 million others. Most people are shuttered in their homes. They're only allowed to go out to buy essentials, like groceries. But hundreds of thousands of migrant workers are roaming the city's eerily quiet streets. They are people who moved hundreds of kilometers from their rural homes and are now uniquely vulnerable under the national lockdown. The number one reason why India's lockdown has been so heavily criticized is because since the lockdown was announced, it led to a humanitarian catastrophe. India is huge, and there are 120 million migrant workers in India. These are people who work in different states to where they're from. It's no secret. This number is readily available. And most of them are daily wage earners. These are people who have to work every day to survive. They live a hand-to-mouth existence. Migrant workers in India work lots of different types of jobs. They're rickshaw drivers, milkmen, construction workers, like Liz mentioned. Many of them get food and shelter directly from their employers. Of course, with the lockdown, those benefits disappeared. When the lockdown was announced and all businesses had to shut, these people lost their jobs. And because they lost their jobs, they could no longer afford to pay rent. All bus and train services were cancelled around the country with just a few hours' notice, and that led to a huge rush at bus and train stations, defeating the purpose of a lockdown and trying to keep people apart and social distancing. And after bus and train services stopped, we saw hundreds of thousands of migrant workers walking hundreds of kilometres to get back home to where they're from so that they could have some safety, so that they could be home, so that they could have enough to eat, enough to drink. At least 22 people have died making that journey from starvation, from dehydration, from being hit 
by trucks while walking on highways, including children. A whole group of people were killed in a forest fire because the highway itself was shut, so they took a detour through a forest. A lockdown without any planning for India's millions of migrant workers has led to this humanitarian catastrophe even before we have a real health crisis on our hands. Now, it's worth saying that a lot of countries have responded to the coronavirus pandemic with bad planning. Even with months of warning, the U.S. is short on medical supplies. As recently as last week, Brazil's president denied the virus was even a threat. In some ways, India was ahead of the curve, literally, by imposing its lockdown before the number of cases skyrocketed. But the pandemic isn't happening in a vacuum. India is a country with hundreds of millions of poor people and a sometimes lawless police force. And that combination in these times has had very real consequences. There were videos of police beating people with batons. And a lot of these people, you know, did interviews with various news agencies. And they were saying, we went out to buy vegetables. Are we going to get beaten if we go out to buy vegetables? There were also videos of police humiliating people, humiliating migrant workers who were walking hundreds of kilometers home by getting them to do frog jumps on the road to punish them for being out, doing all, sort wow. of re- all sorts of really silly exercises like push-ups and sit-ups on the road. And we also had a case in the state of Uttar Pradesh where... A man had to go to the police station and police officers humiliated him, told him off for leaving the house and made him hold up signs saying, I don't care about the country, I don't care about coronavirus, I don't care what happens to people. Took photos of him holding up that sign and posted them on social media. So. There has been a lot of heavy-handedness by police that's been reported around the country. And again, most of it is, of course, targeted at those people who are poor and don't have the same voice. So I know you've said you haven't been able to go out and talk to people personally, but there are videos on Indian media, on Twitter, Facebook, and of course, India's favorite WhatsApp. And I want to speak to them specifically. So I want to start with this one that is circulating on Twitter. I'm going to play it for us. So it has more than 12,000 likes at the time of this interview. And likes just meaning, of course, that people note it. And many of them are horrified and disgusted by it. What's going on? I can understand them being horrified and disgusted by it. I think this is one of the most shocking videos of the lockdown so far. What's happening is that you have authorities in the state of Uttar Pradesh in a town called Rai Bareli who are spraying migrant workers with disinfectant. Now, these migrant workers who were traveling to get back to where they're from were forced to squat on the road And authorities say municipal workers who were supposed to be disinfecting buses and inanimate objects got carried away and used the spray on these migrant workers. And you can see them doing that. You can also hear them saying, 
stay still, close your eyes, and then like turn around, face the other way, while they douse them in disinfectant, which authorities later admitted was actually bleach, which oh, is wow. absolutely not supposed to be used on human beings. Most of them were taken to hospital to make sure that they were okay, but they've had damage to their mucous membranes oh and gosh. whatnot because they were sprayed by bleach. The World Health Organization has definitively said that spraying bleach on your body will not kill the coronavirus and that it can actually hurt you instead. Bareilly District's top administrator, Nitish Kumar, promised that the municipal workers who did this would be punished. But Liz says the incident is an example of a more systemic class issue in India. I think this video really illustrates how certain people are treated in Indian society. Because can you imagine municipal workers coming into the area that I live in, a very nice neighborhood, and even thinking about doing something like that? Absolutely not. But unfortunately, the poor are treated this way in India without any accountability. Often they are. And that's what we're seeing here. Once these videos come to light, police came under a lot of criticism that they were being really heavy-handed. And so we haven't seen as many reports of that since then. So the prominent Indian journalist, Barka Dutt, she's really well-known, respected across India. She filmed and she tweeted a video that's also circulating of her interviewing some migrant workers as they're walking along this empty highway towards their hometowns. I'd love it if you could summarize some of it for us. What Barker did is something so simple. She just decided to actually join migrant workers who were walking. She asked them why they were doing that when there's a lockdown. And they told Barker what all migrant workers have been telling people when they're asked. What are our options? We have lost our jobs and we have nowhere to stay. And for them, walking is the only option. Amnesty International was telling me that they heard about a woman who was walking from Delhi, I think, to somewhere in Rajasthan. And she was walking 900 kilometers. She was in her 90s. And, you know, in that video, Barka really summed it up in the end when she said, Our government has been evacuating hundreds, if not more now, of Indian nationals in Wuhan, in Iran, in Rome, sending special Air India flights to these countries. So if you can do that, if you can send flights and repatriate Indian nationals, why can't you help migrant workers? So if the intent of this lockdown was to stop the spread of the coronavirus, it seems like then having masses of people together walking for long distances towards different hometowns would go against that. Yeah. Is the public health system ready for this kind of crisis? Absolutely not, Malika. So India's public health system is it has one of the lowest patient to doctor, patient to hospital beds, patient to isolation care units, ratios 
in the world. So India's public health system cannot deal with a major outbreak of a virus. And that's not something that health officials have kept secret. Even Prime Minister Modi said, You're also seeing how the world's most empowered nations have become helpless in the face of this pandemic. That much more developed advanced countries have not been able to get on top of coronavirus. We don't have a chance. And that's why this lockdown is necessary to stop the spread. But the problem with that is, as we've been discussing, the lockdown only works if you have a home and you can support yourself. It does not work with people who are poor, with people who live in really cramped conditions. And that's most of India. So we've laid out the problem. What about solutions? It's been more than two weeks since India's nationwide lockdown began. The criticisms we've talked about were raised almost immediately by the media, by NGOs, by the migrant workers themselves. <laughs> Hundreds of workers in the southern state of Kerala protested after the central government shut down state borders. That was five days after the lockdown started. There were clashes in Gujarat, a state in the north, last week. After the police, the situation became tense after over 500 workers took to the streets last night. The workers demanded transportation facilities to reach their native places. The same day as these protests, Prime Minister Modi apologized to the country. And Liz says Modi's government has made some changes. Done since then is issue a whole lot of orders. And I'll go through them, but I'm not sure if they'll work. So they've asked states to set up quarantine facilities where migrant workers are, to first quarantine them because they might be carrying the virus, and then see what happens after that. The Indian government also ordered all factory shop owners to not deduct migrant workers' pay. Now, unfortunately, something like 90% of the Indian workforce is actually employed in what's called the informal or unorganized sector. So they don't have any kinds of protections. So that doesn't work either. They've asked landlords to give migrant workers a month's rent off. Well, so many of them have left already. And again, there's no way to make sure that landlords do that. And, you know, the government has issued all these orders, but it hasn't announced any real financial measures to make sure that companies keep people employed. Or it hasn't said to landlords, we'll pay their rent. So it doesn't work. What about this massive $22 billion stimulus plan? Is that intended to be the answer to the problems you're laying out there? First of all, it was really late to announce that. Now, the $22 billion, it sounds like a lot, but when you break it down, the finance minister said that that would be going to 800 million Indians. And that is both financial handouts and also food. So I think things like giving every household, every low-income household, 
an extra portion of lentils and rice will help. But the amount of money that they're actually giving to people who they consider vulnerable, it's so small. It starts at around 500 rupees a month, which is, I guess, six and a half US dollars. And of course, India is a lot cheaper to live in than the US. But I can tell you that when I buy fruit and vegetables, it costs me six and a half dollars every time I buy fruit and vegetables. Mm -hmm. So that gives you an idea. It's not going to get you much. It's not going to go very far. Fortunately, state governments have actually been, some of them have been pretty proactive. I mentioned the southern state of Kerala. It's taken all sorts of actions to make sure that they have enough adequate accommodation, that they are fed so that they don't feel forced to go back to wherever in the country that they're from. The uh, Delhi chief minister and the Delhi government have also been really good. I noticed that there was a tuk-tuk driving around the neighborhood and I realized that it was playing a message by Chief Minister Arvind Kejriwal who had announced that Delhi is going to be using schools and something like 200 night shelters as community kitchens providing food for 400,000 people. So yeah, Delhi has really expanded and they announced things like 5,000 rupees for every low-income household. And that's the most generous end of the spectrum. So I think things like that will help, but the offering from the central government, it's so little and it was pretty late. I asked Liz what it's like to be reporting on this situation without getting out there and talking to people. Like a lot of news outlets, Al Jazeera has been trying to figure out how to cover the crisis and keep its reporters safe at the same time. And we've actually updated this episode since we talked to her. She's going to be doing risk assessment, story by story, to see if she can get out and report. But the week we talked to Liz, she was still in her apartment. So I'm under lockdown. Now it's a matter of following what's happening around the country through what other journalists are doing. And as I said earlier, you know, there are great journalists in India doing really, really great work. I really admire them. And I think we would be completely lost without them. There was one story in particular by the Indian news channel NDTV that struck Liz personally. One of their journalists did an incredible interview <laughs> with a young boy. He looks really young. We refer to him as a migrant worker, but he's so young. And he is crying and he's so stressed out. He's been roaming the streets of Delhi for three days and he'd been hoping to catch a bus to go back to his state of Bihar. And he's telling the NDTV journalist that he is really scared. He's really scared that police are going to beat him. They won't let him sit anywhere. And he just wants to go home. I mean, he can hardly breathe. You know, and I have goosebumps just thinking about him because his agony, his sheer agony just comes across in that video. I think that even though I can't go out and tell these stories myself, what is important is that these stories get out. 
in any which way that we can get them out. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilvey and Alexandra Locke, with Dina Kispe, Nate Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bidal. Natalia Aldana is The Take's engagement producer. Be sure to check out our pages on Twitter and Instagram. We're at AJ The Take. Alex Roldan is the sound designer behind this episode's smooth audio edit. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Bushier is Al Jazeera's head of audio. Special thanks to Tabish Talib. If you want to learn more about this story or any of Al Jazeera's India coverage, you should follow Liz's Twitter page. Her handle is L-I-Z-P-U-R-A-N-A-M. We'll be back.